Chapter Fourteen, Part One of the Riddle of the Universe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nathan Dickey. The Riddle of the Universe by Ernst Tegel, translated by Joseph McCabe. Chapter Fourteen: The Unity of Nature. Contents of this chapter include the Monism of the Cosmos essential unity of organic and inorganic nature carbon theory the hypothesis of a biogenesis mechanical and purposive causes mechanism and teleology in kant's works design in the organic and inorganic worlds vitalism neo-vitalism dysteleology the moral of the rudimentary organs absence of design in and imperfection of nature telic action in organized bodies its absence in ontogeny and phylogeny the platonist ideas no moral order discoverable in the history of the organic world of the vertebrates or of the human race prevision design and chance one of the first things to be proved by the law of substance is the basic fact that any natural force can be directly or indirectly converted into any other mechanical and chemical energy sound and heat light and electricity are mutually convertible they seem to be but different modes of one and the same fundamental force or energy thence follows the important thesis of the unity of all natural forces or as it may also be expressed the monism of energy this fundamental principle is now generally recognized in the entire province of physics and chemistry as far as it applies to inorganic substances it seems to be otherwise with the organic world and its wealth of color and form it is of course obvious that a great part of the phenomena of life may be immediately traced to mechanical and chemical energy and to the effects of electricity and light for other vital processes however especially for psychic activity and consciousness such an interpretation is vigorously contested yet the modern science of evolution has achieved the task of constructing a bridge between these two apparently irreconcilable provinces we are now certain that all the phenomena of organic life are subject to the universal law of substance no less than the phenomena of the inorganic universe the unity of nature which necessarily follows and the demolition of the earlier dualism are certainly among the most valuable results of modern evolution thirty-three years ago i made an exhaustive effort to establish this monism of the cosmos and the essential unity of organic and inorganic nature by a thorough critical demonstration and a comparison of the accordance of these two great divisions of nature with regard to matter form and force a short epitome of the result is given in the fifteenth chapter of my natural history of creation the views i put forward are accepted by the majority of modern scientists but an attempt has been made in many quarters lately to dispute them and to maintain the old antithesis of the two divisions of nature the ablest of these efforts is to be found in the recent welt als thought of the botanist reinke it defends pure cosmological dualism with admirable lucidity and consistency 
and only goes to prove how utterly untenable the teleological system is that is connected therewith according to the author physical and chemical forces alone are at work in the entire field of inorganic nature while in the organic world we find intelligent forces regulative or dominant forces the law of substance is supposed to apply to the one but not to the other on the whole it is a question of the old antithesis of a mechanical and a teleological system before we go more fully into it let us glance briefly at two other theories which seem to me to be of great importance in the decision of that controversy the carbon theory and the theory of spontaneous generation physiological chemistry has after countless analyses established the following five facts during the last forty years one no other elements are found in organic bodies than those of the inorganic world two the combination of elements which are peculiar to organisms and which are responsible for their vital phenomena are compound protoplasmic substances of the group of albuminoids three organic life itself is a chemico-physical process based on the metabolism or interchange of material of these albuminoids four the only element which is capable of building up these compound albuminoids in combination with other elements oxygen hydrogen nitrogen and sulfur is carbon five these protoplasmic compounds of carbon are distinguished from most other chemical combinations by their very intricate molecular structure their instability and their jelly-like consistency on the basis of these five fundamental facts the following carbon theory was erected thirty-three years ago Quote, the peculiar chemico-physical properties of carbon especially the fluidity and the facility of decomposition of the most elaborate albuminoid compounds of carbon are the sole and the mechanical causes of the specific phenomena of movement which distinguish organic from inorganic substances and which are called life in the usual sense of the word see the natural history of creation although this carbon theory is warmly disputed in some quarters no better monistic theory has yet appeared to replace it we have now a much better and more thorough knowledge of the physiological relations of cell life and of the chemistry and physics of the living protoplasm than we had thirty-three years ago and so it is possible to make a more confident and effective defense of the carbon theory the old idea of spontaneous generation is now taken in many different senses it is owing to this indistinctness of the idea and its application to so many different hypotheses that the problem is one of the most contentious and confused in the science of the day i restrict the idea of spontaneous generation also called abiogenesis or archegony to the first development of living protoplasm out of inorganic carbonates and distinguish two phases in this beginning of biogenesis one autogony or the rise of the simplest protoplasmic substances in a formative fluid and two plasmogony the differentiation of individual primitive organisms out of these protoplasmic compounds in the form of monera i have treated this important though difficult problem so exhaustively in the fifteenth chapter of my natural history of creation 
that I may content myself here with referring to it. There is also a very searching and severely scientific inquiry into it in my General Morphology, 1866. Nigelli has also treated the hypothesis in quite the same sense in his Mechanico-Physiological Theory of Descent, 1884, and has represented it to be an indispensable thesis in any natural theory of evolution. I entirely agree with his assertion that, quote, to reject a biogenesis is to admit a miracle. Unquote. The hypothesis of spontaneous generation and the allied carbon theory are of great importance in deciding the long-standing conflict between the teleological, dualistic, and the mechanical, monistic, interpretation of phenomena. Since Darwin gave us the key to the monistic explanation of organization in his theory of selection forty years ago, it has become possible for us to trace the splendid variety of orderly tendencies of the organic world to mechanical, natural causes, just as we could formerly in the inorganic world alone. Hence the supernatural and telic forces, to which the scientist had had recourse, have been rendered superfluous. Modern metaphysics, however, continues to regard the latter as indispensable and the former as inadequate no philosopher has done more than immanuel kant in defining the profound distinction between efficient and final causes with relation to the interpretation of the whole cosmos in his well-known earlier work on the general natural history and theory of the heavens he made a bold attempt to treat the constitution and the mechanical origin of the entire fabric of the universe according to newtonian laws this cosmological nebular theory was based entirely on the mechanical phenomena of gravitation it was expanded and mathematically established later on by laplace when the famous french astronomer was asked by napoleon i where god the creator and sustainer of all things came into his system he clearly and honestly replied sire i have managed without that hypothesis that indicated the atheistic character which this mechanical cosmogony shares with all the other inorganic sciences this is the more noteworthy because the theory of kant and laplace is now almost universally accepted every attempt to supersede it has failed when atheism is denounced as a grave reproach as it so often is it is well to remember that the reproach extends to the whole of modern science in so far as it gives a purely mechanical interpretation of the inorganic world mechanism in the kantian sense alone can give us a true explanation of natural phenomena for it traces them to their real efficient causes to blind and unconscious agencies which are determined in their action only by the material constitution of the bodies we are investigating kant himself emphatically affirms that there can be no science without this mechanism of nature and that the capacity of human reason to give a mechanical interpretation of phenomena is unlimited but when he came subsequently to give an elucidation of the complex phenomena of organic nature in his critique of the teleological system he declared that these mechanical causes were inadequate that in this we must call final causes to our assistance it is true he said that even here we must recognize 
the theoretical faculty of the mind to give a mechanical interpretation but its actual competence to do so is restricted he grants it this capacity to some extent but for the majority of the vital processes and especially for man's psychic activity he thinks we are bound to postulate final causes the remarkable section seventy nine of the critique of judgment bears the characteristic heading on the necessity for the subordination of the mechanical principle to the teleological in the explanation of a thing as a natural end it seemed to kant so impossible to explain the orderly processes in the living organism without postulating supernatural final causes that is a purposive creative force that he said quote, it is quite certain that we cannot even satisfactorily understand much less elucidate the nature of an organism and its internal faculty on purely mechanical natural principles it is so certain indeed that we may confidently say it is absurd for a man to conceive the idea even that some day a newton will arise who can explain the origin of a single blade of grass by natural laws which are uncontrolled by design such a hope is entirely forbidden us seventy years afterwards this impossible newton of the organic world appeared in the person of charles darwin and achieved this great task that kant had deemed impracticable since newton sixteen thirty two formulated the law of gravitation and kant seventeen fifty five established the constitution and mechanical origin of the entire fabric of the world on newtonian laws and laplace seventeen ninety six provided a mathematical foundation for this law of cosmic mechanism the whole of the inorganic sciences have become purely mechanical and at the same time purely atheistic astrophysics cosmogony geology meteorology and inorganic physics and chemistry are now absolutely ruled by mechanical laws on a mathematical foundation the idea of design has wholly disappeared from this vast province of science at the close of the nineteenth century now that this monistic view has fought its way to general recognition no scientist ever asks seriously of the purpose of any single phenomenon in the whole of this great field is any astronomer likely to inquire seriously today into the purpose of planetary motion or a mineralogist to seek design in the structure of a crystal does the physicist investigate the purpose of electric force or the chemist that of atomic weight we may confidently answer in the negative certainly not in the sense that god or a purposive natural force had at some time created these fundamental laws of the mechanism of the universe with a definite design and causes them to work daily in accordance with his rational will the anthropomorphic notion of a deliberate architect and ruler of the world has gone forever from this field the eternal iron laws of nature have taken his place but the idea of design has a very great significance and application in the organic world we do undeniably perceive a purpose in the structure and in the life of an organism the plant and the animal seem to be controlled by a definite design in the combination of their several parts 
just as clearly as we see in the machines which man invents and constructs as long as life continues the functions of the several organs are directed to definite ends just as is the operation of the various parts of a machine hence it was quite natural that the older naive study of nature in explaining the origin and activity of the living being should postulate a creator who had arranged all things with wisdom and understanding and had constructed each plant and animal according to the special purpose of its life the conception of this almighty creator of heaven and earth was usually quite anthropomorphic he created everything after its kind as long as the creator seemed to man to be of human shape to think with his brain see with his eyes and fashion with his hands it was possible to form a definite picture of this divine engineer and his artistic work in the great workshop of creation this was not so easy when the idea of god became refined and a man saw in his invisible god a creator without organs a gaseous being still more unintelligible did these anthropomorphic ideas become when physiology submitted for the conscious divine architect and unconscious creative vital force a mysterious purposive natural force which differed from the familiar forces of physics and chemistry and only took these in part during life into its service this vitalism prevailed until about the middle of the nineteenth century johannes muller the great berlin physiologist was the first to menace it with a destructive dose of facts it is true that the distinguished biologist had himself like all others in the first half of the century been educated in a belief in this vital force and deemed it indispensable for an elucidation of the ultimate sources of life nevertheless in his classical and still unrivalled manual of physiology eighteen thirty three he gave a demonstrative proof that there is really nothing to be said for this vital force muller himself in a long series of remarkable observations and experiments showed that most of the vital processes in the human organism and in the other animals takes place according to physical and chemical laws and that many of them are capable of mathematical determination that was no less true of the animal functions of the muscles and nerves and of both the higher and the lower sense organs than of the vegetal functions of digestion assimilation and circulation only two branches of the life of the organism mental action and reproduction retained any element of mystery and seemed inexplicable without assuming a vital force but immediately after muller's death such important discoveries and advances were made in these two branches that the uneasy phantom of vital force was driven from its last refuge by a very remarkable coincidence johannes muller died in the year eighteen fifty eight which saw the publication of darwin's first communication concerning his famous theory the theory of selection solved the great problem that had mastered muller the question of the origin of orderly arrangements from purely mechanical causes darwin as we have often said had a twofold immortal merit in the field of philosophy firstly the reform of lamarck's theory of descent and its establishment on the mass of facts accumulated in the course of the half-century secondly the conception of the theory of selection 
which first revealed to us the true causes of the gradual formation of species darwin was the first to point out that the struggle for life is the unconscious regulator which controls the reciprocal action of heredity and adaptation in the gradual transformation of species it is the great selective divinity which by a purely natural choice without preconceived design creates new forms just as selective man creates new types by an artificial choice with a definite design that gave us the solution of the great philosophic problem how can purposive contrivances be produced by purely mechanical processes without design kant held the problem to be insoluble although empedocles had pointed out the direction of the solution two thousand years before his principle of teleological mechanicism has become more and more accepted of late years and has furnished a mechanical explanation even of the finest and most recondite processes of organic life by the functional self-production of the purposive structure thus have we got rid of the transcendental design of the teleological philosophy of the schools which was the greatest obstacle to the growth of a rational and monistic conception of nature very recently however this ancient phantom of a mystic vital force which seemed to be effectually banished has put in a fresh appearance a number of distinguished biologists have attempted to reintroduce it under another name the clearest presentation of it is to be found in the welt als thought of the kiel botanist j reinke he takes upon himself the defense of the notion of miracle of theism of the mosaic story of creation and of the constancy of species he calls vital forces in opposition to physical forces the directive or dominant forces other neo-vitalists prefer in the good old anthropomorphic style a supreme engineer who has endowed organic substance with a purposeless structure directed to the realization of a definite plan these curious teleological hypotheses and the objections to darwinism which generally accompany them do not call for serious scientific refutation today thirty-three years ago i gave the title of dysteleology to the science of those extremely interesting and significant biological facts which in the most striking fashion gave a direct contradiction to the teleological idea of the purposive arrangement of the living organism this science of rudimentary abortive arrested distorted atrophied and cataplastic individuals is based on an immense quantity of remarkable phenomena which were long familiar to zoologists and botanists but were not properly interpreted and their great philosophic significance appreciated until darwin End of chapter 14, part 1. Recording by Nathan Dickey, Ashland, Oregon, journeymanheretic.blogspot.com.